don't know about you, but I just love Easter. And I think I love Easter for a number of reasons. Um, one of the things that I love about Easter is that we have kind of made it through the dark doldrums of winter. Uh, and, and I'm so thankful for that. And I, I am thankful that although this is just a time that we have marked on a calendar to celebrate Easter, there is something just kind of magnificent about the idea that as we come and we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, that we're celebrating the fact that Christ has risen from the dead, that also as we look around us, we see grass growing, we see flowers growing, we see evidence of, of new life. And this is a great picture of what the resurrection of Christ has done and what it has done for us. I just love this time. I love the fact that many of you uh, this morning probably came with new outfits on. Not as many kids in here with new outfits, but I see some of you in outfits that I haven't seen in a long time. Steve Bauer in the first service had his shirt tucked in. I've never seen that. You know, one of the things that we do in our church is that we try to mark a movement. And so on Thursday, we had a Monday Thursday service in which we took time to reflect on the reality that Jesus was betrayed and Jesus was imprisoned, that Jesus was taken. A couple of years ago, I think last year, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a long, long year. I think last year, if I'm not mistaken, we, we did a fast where we fasted from Thursday evening and we broke the fast on Sunday morning. Maundy Thursday to Sunday morning, Christ arrested, Christ condemned, and then on Thursday, on Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and our King. And the goal, the key this morning, is for us to see things rightly, to see things properly, to realize that the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest thing that has ever happened and that will ever happen. There is nothing greater than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, many years ago, there was a pastor. He died in the year 2000, but uh, in the 80s, he preached a sermon. His name was uh, S.M. Lockridge. Uh, the, the sermon was then taken by Tony Campolo, and some people attribute it to him, but it was really S.M. Lockridge that first preached this sermon. And I just want to read part of it. Or part of the sermon. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary is crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe Him in scarlet. They crown Him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling and his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. 
They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raise Him up next to criminal. It's Friday, but let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday, He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by His Father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save Him? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my King yields His Spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. Sunday has come. He is risen. He is risen. We're here to celebrate the most amazing thing in history. And the problem that I think that we often have is when we look at Jesus, when we look at the resurrection, that our thoughts are way too small. And I want to challenge us this morning. I want to challenge us this morning by looking at this text and looking into the Scripture. I want to challenge us to think about Jesus and who He is. And let that sink in and settle within you. This past week, I had just an awesome uh, time and experience. I, my, when, the, when the boys, when the kids turn 13, Dad takes them on a trip. And uh, we go on an adventure, and this year was Miles. His, his trip got ruined by COVID at the beginning of last year, and so we went out to Moab, Utah, the four-wheeling and mountain biking capital of the world, some say. I'm going to claim that. And as we were going out there, I watched all these videos about mountain biking in these awesome places, and we, we were geared up to do it. And then you kind of get there. I mean, I was going to rock this thing. I was thinking kind of world champion at 43. And then it's like, oh my goodness, those drops are a lot bigger than what they look like on that YouTube video. And it's not as easy as just kind of, you know, kicking it sideways. You see, the reality is what I had done is that I had underestimated the landscape. I had underestimated the reality of the situation in Moab, Utah. And I had overestimated my abilities (laughs) and my courage, right? So this morning, in the same type of way, what I'm wanting to draw us into is that I want us to see the landscape clearly. I want us to understand the reality of the situation that we're living in. And I want us to understand who we are and our our limitations. And I hope that you will see by the end, not only in our limitations, but in what we are able to do. See, as Paul is writing to the Colossians, the Colossians are in need of an adjustment of their vision. They are in need of a reminder about the reality of their situation because there are dangers that are affecting and infecting the church. There was heresy. There were false ideas that were being spread. And and, and one of the false ideas had to do with Jesus. And and these false ideas were promoting this idea that Jesus was not who He said He was. That He wasn't fully God. He wasn't fully man. 
It was degrading. It was downplaying. Another reality, another heresy that was creeping into the church that the Colossians were facing was an idea that man was more powerful than he was. And this idea was being promoted uh, in the church that, that we could earn our way to salvation, that we could earn our way to heaven, that we could earn our way into a right relationship with God. And these ideas are alive and well today. Many years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, I visited a church in Nashville and the thing that happened as the person talking went up and down the aisle, he told us that there were many keys to heaven. Good works. Sacraments. Many keys to heaven. On Easter Sunday. There's one key. There's only one key that fits that lock and that's Jesus. It's Jesus. This idea, these ideas, these, these heresies, this wrong thinking about Christ and about ourselves still infects us today. How does our society view Christ? If you were to just go out today to a grocery store and start just randomly asking people, who is Jesus Christ? You know the answers that you would get. He's a good man. He's a moral teacher. Or he's the essence of philosophy. You should follow his precepts. He was a loving person. Too low of thinking. How does society, and that sort of thinking has infected the church as well, how does society view man or woman? That we're the sinner. We're the center of the universe. That all things revolve around us to make much of us. I was listening to the Christian radio station recently and the song was all about me being at the center. Really what the song was promoting was that God existed to prop me up. Makes you feel really good. But it's wrong. It's wrong. We are not in control and we are not the one who decides what is right or wrong. And if, if, we live according to these wrong ideas, you're going to crash and burn. Just like if I would have went out with my wrong ideas into that mountain biking, I would have come here in a sling and a broken leg. It's not going to work. So this letter to this church is written to help us. And this morning, what I want to do, I want to breeze through Go really fast through the section of Scripture that Gary read. And we're not going to get through all that we would get if we just took our time and went slow. But I want to run through this. And I want you to see and hear who this Christ is that we are celebrating on this Easter morning. Look at verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So that when we see Jesus, we see the exact representation of the Father. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God was not seen. 
Man cannot see God and live. What we have over and over again in the Old Testament is God doing what? Speaking. He is heard. Any wonder why when John writes his Gospel, he says, the Word became flesh. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, that, that in the former days, in the former days, God spoke through His prophets. Now, God has spoken where? Through His Son. So that when we see Christ, when we see His face, we are seeing the face of God. When we hear Christ, when we hear His words, what this text is telling us is that we are hearing the very words of God. When Christ acts, what we're seeing is the very actions of God. And when we see Christ, we see our Father. And not only this, but it tells us that Christ Christ is the firstborn. Now when it's saying that Christ is the firstborn, it's not saying, this is not like a physical birth order, so He was the first one born and then others were born after. This is talking about His position. His position that in this day and time, that the heir, the firstborn was the heir, and the heir received all things. And so what Paul is telling us, he is using this as a metaphor to tell us about His powerful position that because He is the firstborn, He has all the birthrights. In other words, He is sovereign. Jesus Christ is the sovereign of the universe. He is the ruler of all things. In verse 16, by Him, by Jesus, all things were created. Jesus Christ is the co-creator of the universe, and by Christ, all things are created. And let me give you a little Greek lesson. You know what all things means in Greek? All things. It's all. It's all made by Christ. Christ is the creator of all things. Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him. And if He has created all things, can any of those things overcome Him? No. He is way bigger, way beyond all of these things. He is greater because He made it. He made all things. And notice, not only did He make all things, All things have been created through Him and for Him. All things have also been created for Him. That the purpose of all things is to glorify Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in Him all things are held together. There's this notion by the deist that um, God was one who started a clock and then took His hands off the clock, created the world, took His hands off, and the world just kind of runs. This is a philosophical approach to viewing the world and how it's created and how it runs. What this verse tells us is this. If Jesus took His hands off, what would happen? It wouldn't exist. Christ is actively right now holding all things together. This is how powerful and how wonderful and majestic that He is. That if He withheld His hands, if He took His hands off, all things would crash and burn. And would cease to exist. And then in verse 18, 
He is also the head of the body, the church. And you may think, man, that's weird. Why, why would Paul put this here? And, and I think one of the reasons we think this is weird is that when we think of that Christ is the head of the church, we think of organizations. We think of denominations. We think of like uh, bishops and uh, these organizational structures. That's not what Paul is talking about here. When Paul uses the word church, he's not talking about a brick and mortar or some kind of system. When Paul uses the word church, he's talking about the people of God. The very essence of what it means to be a part of the people of God means that Christ is our head. Christ is the head of the church. It is who He is. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. So that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. And then look at this last verse. Let this just blow your mind. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. I think this is a mysterious phrase that we can't even really capture in our heads that it was the Father's. It was God's good pleasure that all the fullness of who God is dwells in Jesus Christ. This is who He is. This is who this Savior that came and died and rose from the grave, this is who He is. And the test on whether or not you're understanding what Paul is writing is whether or not your mind is being blown this morning about who this man is. Can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. My heart just leaps with joy and my mind is blown as I consider who this Christ is. And over the years, scholars have come up with two words that, uh, that they use to describe Christ from this text. And one is that He is preeminent. That means that He is surpassing all. He is the first. He is superior. He is above all. And that is a very fitting word. I don't like the second word. It works, but I don't like the second word, which is that he's sufficient. This is the reason I don't like this word. My wife has, is preparing a meal for Easter. If she asked me after we eat, hey, how was the meal? And I said sufficient. It's not what is meant in this text. It's not what is meant in this description of this text. It, what, is, what is meant is that He is great, magnificent, more than sufficient. We can't, we can't even wrap words around what He is and what His sacrifice has done for us. Now, this time of year, when we talk about Christ, when we sing about Christ, we use words that are good and right like this. That Christ was the lowly Savior. He was the humble Savior. He was the suffering servant. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, when we think about Christ in this way, we don't think highly enough because unless our thoughts about Jesus are mind-blowingly high, we don't understand the reality that He, this man, came, lowered Himself, became a man, served us and died so that we could have access to God. If our thoughts about Christ are too low, we're going to miss the boat. We're not going to understand 
how great this Christ is. And when we do understand, or when we just get a glimpse of how great Christ is, and that He humbled Himself to the point of dying on a cross, the first thing that wells up inside of me, and I think the first thing that wells up inside of us is, I don't deserve that. He did it. That's the point. He died and He rose and has victory over sin, death, and the curse. So that you and I could be reconciled to God. Look at verse 20. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And then at verse 22, the same idea. He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Again, the problem with us is that many times we don't see the landscape correctly. We don't see things like we should. We don't see things like they are. We don't see things according to reality. And in our day and age, one of the things that we have done is we have taken the gospel message, the good news of salvation, and in many places this gospel message has been turned on its head. It's been inverted. And and what's going on is this. It's the idea that man, woman, human beings are basically good. That we're born basically good. And so it becomes this real weird version of Christianity where God is all loving and all merciful and man is basically good. And so there's this real weird cooperation and kind of everybody gets to heaven because a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. The inverted reality of the situation is that we are all sinners. We are all alienated. We are all hostile. Look at verse 21. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that we have sinned. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And so we are hopeless and helpless. The reality of the situation is that we are desperate and we are needy people and God in His mercy, only because of His mercy, saves some. This is the greatest news in the world. According to that other version of the Gospel, There's no need for a resurrection. There's no need for a death. And it doesn't even make sense that the king of the universe would come and die. Another absurdity, another way of viewing the gospel wrongly uh, is, is best illustrated, I think, in a bumper sticker that I saw. I hadn't seen one in a long time. But a bumper sticker I saw when I was in Utah, the, the coexist bumper sticker. And I've always been a little humored by that bumper sticker because none of the groups on that list really want to coexist with one another. Um, but, but the idea behind it, I think, is that there are many roads that lead to God. And we hear this in our day and age. There are many roads that lead to God. But the reality that this text teaches us is that this just isn't true. That the only way that for us to be reconciled with God is that God sent His Son in His very image, in His very nature, sent His Son to die. And notice, did you notice in verses 22 and 24 
that there was death and there was blood and there was a sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Look at, look at verses 13 and 14. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There is only one way to be reconciled to God and that's through the blood and the death of Jesus. Another false narrative that I hear and I really want to be sympathetic to this one. But, but I hear it often and that's this. That some people will look and say to me, Lewis, I hear what you're saying but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've committed. Now you may be saying, Lewis, how is that a false gospel? And I want to show you how it's promoting a false gospel. Jesus' death was sufficient for any sin you could ever commit. The sufficiency of the sacrifice far outweighs any sin you or I could have ever committed in our life. The perfect Son of God died. The penalty has been paid. So this morning, my prayer for some of you who are here, some of you who are here, some of you who are watching, you need to hear this. The Gospel is open to you. You too can be reconciled to God today. All that you have to do is believe in your heart that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus was who He said He was. Believe that God made a way by sending His Son, Jesus, in the flesh to die. And you put your trust and your faith that Jesus took your sins with Him to the cross. And what happens is at that moment, when that decision is made, Jesus takes on our sins and we get His righteousness. And today, what a wonderful testimony would it be that you surrendered your life today on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is doing that in some of you. But the resurrection power is not only for Sunday. It's not only for salvation. The power of the resurrection is not only for salvation. This week, last two weeks ago, I was talking with a good friend and we were talking about uh, this passage and he put this idea in my head about uh, the sermon Sunday's coming and the idea of Monday's coming. The idea that Monday's coming. And when I say that, when I talk about Monday, what I'm talking about is the reality of the world that we all live in. The reality of our everyday lives. You see, tonight, today is great. We're all here. We're dressed up. You all look real nice. We're going to celebrate. We need to do that. We need to celebrate. You need to give your kids a lot of candy. Feed them full. Let them think great thoughts about us celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. But then comes Monday. And the danger 
The danger is that we don't think highly enough about the resurrection and it doesn't affect us. It doesn't change us on Monday morning. Paul hints at this in his own life in this text. Or we see the reality of Monday in Paul's life. Look at verse 24. Here's Paul's reality. Now I rejoice in my what? Sufferings. That Paul's Monday entailed sufferings. Look at verse 29. Look what else is entailed in Paul's Monday. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. Paul's own Monday had in it suffering, laboring, and striving. But did you notice that Paul was saying that he is able to rejoice in his suffering? That he is able to labor and strive according to God's power which is working within him. And what I want to say is the reality of what Paul was saying and the reality that what I want you to see is that it's because of the resurrection of Christ that we are able to face Monday. You see, what Paul was doing in writing this letter to the Colossians, in this section that we're looking at, Paul is praying for them. Paul knows that they're being pushed. He knows that they're under um, uh, attacks. He knows that they're facing heresy. He knows that their Monday morning is about um, hardships and difficulties. Look at the way he encourages them. In verse 9, For this reason, since the day I heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you, that you ask that you may be filled with all with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. And here's the reality. Some of us, our Monday morning is the reality of patterns of sin in our life that is weighing heavy on us. Some of us are trapped in sin. Some of us, as we sang earlier, as we sang earlier about the chains have been broken, some of us have chained ourselves to things and behaviors that we don't need to be chaining ourselves to. This is the reality of our Monday morning. This is the reality that we're living in. That we get all dressed up for Easter, but inside we're really rotting. What's going on internally is that our life is plagued with sin. And it is having the victory and it's weighing us down and it's causing us to walk in darkness. Look at verse 10 and 11. So that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Knowing the Look at the expectation here that we're bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience and joylessly. Some of our Monday mornings are burdens that are very difficult for us to bear. Some of you who are here and some of you who are watching are going through some very, very difficult things. And when you hear these verses that we are supposed to, we're supposed to be bearing fruit We're supposed to be increasing in our knowledge of God. We're supposed to be strengthened. We're supposed to be glorious. We're we're supposed to be strengthened according to His glorious might. We're supposed to have steadfastness and patience. And we're supposed to be joyous in the middle of that. 
This is not describing the way that many of us are walking through Monday morning. Many of you are burdened beyond belief. Whether it's things at work, whether it's things in your home life, whether it's things in your marriage, whether it's things with your kids. Kids, some of you, it's things with your parents. And, you know, one of the other things with you kids, you know, I have a group of teenage boys that meet at my house on Sunday afternoon. And it's just amazing to hear about the pressures and the temptations and everything that these kids face in this day and age. That your Monday morning, your Monday morning is difficult and tough. But there's great news. There's great news. The great news is that He is risen. He is risen. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of His saints in light. For He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He has risen. He has purchased this for us. The chains that you feel are broken chains. You don't have to walk in that. You don't have to walk in that sin anymore. You don't have to power your way on your own through the struggles and the difficulties you're facing. It's not who we were meant to be. This, you look, Monday will come. The temptations to sin will come. But I want you to look and to hear what Paul says for, to us in Colossians chapter 3. And I think we should memorize these verses. This is part of the Scripture that, that long ago I had memorized and I wish I could just stand here and recite it to you, but I'm not confident enough to do that. But listen to these glorious verses. We live not according to the kingdom and the domain of darkness anymore, but if you are a Christian, you've been transferred into the kingdom of light. That is who we are. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Christ, Notice what it says. Keep seeking the things that are above. Turn your vision to the right place. Look to the heavens. Look to Christ. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. His dominion, His power, He is ruling. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. This morning you may come in here and you may think that your sin or your situation is too far gone and that is a lie from the pits of hell. Your vision is wrong. And I want to love you enough this morning to tell you what Paul tells us, that you are walking in a new kingdom and we, we as His people, are to look above where Christ is. When Christ... Now notice here, when Christ who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. It does not say, when Christ, who is your helper, who is your aid, if your life is Christ, if He is your life, no matter what you are going through, what you are walking through, whatever Monday looks like, if Christ, who is your life, when He is revealed, then you will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead to immorality, to impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, 
which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, you also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on a new self. This is who we are. We are to put on a new self who is being renewed. We're in process of being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all in all. So that those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ on Monday morning rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all In the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, the father. This is how we live in Monday morning. Look up. See the reality. Of our situation. So here it is. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. Christ is raised from the dead. Some of you, some of you who are hearing my voice in one way or another are, in, are stuck in Friday. Hopeless. Dark. Alienated. And you need to know that it is Sunday. That God has made a way. God has done something. And you, you can be transferred in, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light if you would only confess that Jesus is Lord. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. Brothers and sisters, are you going to leave Sunday behind tomorrow morning? Or are you going to take And realize the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with you. Into whatever difficulty, whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever circumstance that you're in. Praise be to God. Christ has risen from the grave. And because he lives, we can do what? You know the old song? The only thing I don't like about the song is that when we sing it, it's pretty humdrum. I need to spice that thing up a little bit because it's great news. Because He lives, we can face tomorrow. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. Praise God that He doesn't leave us in Friday. And praise God that He doesn't forsake us in Monday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we are blown away at the reality that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die. The co-creator of the universe, the one that is holding all things together, the preeminent, the sovereign, the matchless king. That he came so that we could be reconciled to you. You don't need to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to you. And we thank you for that. And God, I thank you that you don't leave us there. That you bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then while we are here, until we are home, that you aid us and you comfort us and you give us tools so that we can walk in the glorious light in which we are called to walk through suffering, through hardships, and overcoming sin. God, we thank you. It's in your Son Jesus' name that we pray.